welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I am Uranio Pais. And I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And today we are going to talk about the Enneagram arrows. A very, very important theme, right, B? Right. The internal arrow line movements within the Enneagram symbol. Yeah, the Enneagram's diagram is, a, is quite an important thing to take into account when talking about types. Types are not only, you know, personalities loose on space. They come from that uh, beautiful, intriguing and very profound geometry behind the Enneagram symbol. If you have never seen the Enneagram symbol, make sure that you go to the internet, hopefully to our cpenneagram.com website, and have a look at it. The symbol is essential to the understanding of the Enneagram, and then the symbol has those arrow uh, points, uh, connecting points with arrows uh, in the inner lines. Right, sometimes you see an Enneagram drawn with just the lines and no arrows. And I know that's also the Enneagram, but I often think something's missing there because uh, Gurdjieff, one of the sources of information about the ancient origins and meaning of the Enneagram diagram, he would say that the Enneagram is a symbol of perpetual motion and that it should be viewed as being in motion, that it is a symbol of movement and that a static symbol is a dead symbol. Yeah, so... The Enneagram work without the Enneagram symbol is missing one of the most essential parts. Uh, looking at the symbol as if it was static is not knowing the symbol at all. And the arrows point out to that. And, and doing Enneagram work without understanding the ever-present flow of energy in those lines, both in the circle and the inner lines um, and uh, just taking the types as descriptions of personality will not allow us to do the true work of evolving. Yes, because the Enneagram is both a, a personality typology of nine types and 27 subtypes, but it's also a map of process. It's, uh, it's a symbol that maps a process of human transformation. Yeah. I don't know you, B, but I personally don't like very much when um, I, I, I see approaches to how each of the nine types can or should develop that do not consider the arrows um, as one of the main ways to do that. Like talking about what the types can do in a completely disconnected way uh, from the arrows. Yes, and certainly one of the ways to work with your Enneagram type is studying the, the automatic unconscious patterns associated with your type. And that's, I think, a very good beginning. Uh, however, at a certain point, it's important to see that if you are just looking at your personality type, you're missing other opportunities inherent in the system for growth. Yeah, exactly. Um, when we consider what those two arrow points can bring us, uh, we will notice eventually how those are not any two points. They are the most important points for our growth, the most special ones. 
first because as they are our connecting points, uh, they are more available for us. You know, some part of us is already in there. And life brings us to those specific energies all the time as opportunities for us to be to to stop doing more of the same. I wonder if we need to back up a little bit and get a little more basic because some people may not know what we're talking about when yeah. we say the arrow lines. Thank you for always doing that. You help me with my sometimes lack of objectivity. <laughs> or just your complex way of thinking. Okay. Uh, so the, each of the nine types is connected to two other types by the inner lines of the Enneagram symbol. Now, in, in some versions of the symbol, you will see the arrows on those lines pointing in very specific directions. So Now, just one thing, B. Make sure that you see the actual Enneagram symbol which has those, those three geometric figures, the circle, the triangle, and what we call the hexad. And I'm saying this because more recently, some people have been using more and more another similar but very different in essence uh, symbol that has three equilateral triangles. And that is not the Enneagram to look at to follow what we're going to say here. Right. And so in this case, three, nine, and six are connected by inner arrow lines. And in then the triangle? Within the inner triangle. And then points one, four, two, eight, five, and seven are also connected by internal arrow line, uh, internal, internal arrow lines. And there is a whole interesting math behind that um that we won't go through right now perhaps in the future here on our podcast but i think one of the interesting things to know about the enneagram symbol is that it derives from sacred arithmetic sacred geometry and that there is a mathematical basis to it totally which maybe at some point we could do a podcast on oh, that. we will because <laughs> i really think that is important but not now yes now we'll focus on the arrow lines and the fact that each point is connected to two other points. And it turns out that those two other points are like the perfect antidotes for the challenges associated with our main point. So now I'll come back to something before that. Um, and I want to be a bit personal. I want to say that when I started studying the Enneagram in 1996, I learned it already from the perspective of the arrows being essential. And I learned uh, those movements uh, in the way that we are going to teach today, here for you on our podcast. I'm saying this because when I, you know, I'm Brazilian, and then when I started traveling to the U.S., where most of the Enneagram work happened, I noticed that the, the main approaches to the arrows were quite different. And eventually, all the Americans changed, American teachers changed, to use the same approach that I had been taught back there by a very good teacher. So I think um, it's very, very important if you are... An Enneagram student um, who has been reading about this system for quite a while, or if you have read uh, or if you have been taught by teachers in the old American way, and by the way, books are not always updated, 
Um, you need to pay attention and have an open mind to hear what we are going to say now, taking into account that almost all good teachers who share experiences and, and do cross-learning at conferences have changed their old ways of viewing the arrows. Although I don't think there's necessarily consensus among different Enneagram teachers oh, about the arrows. I don't think everyone will teach it the way we're going to be talking about it today, which is okay, of course. But we are very strong in our opinions about that, aren't we? Yes. And I think that's because we've worked with a lot of people sometimes on the Enneagram mat itself, uh, following the arrow line movements <coughs> as a way to invoke a certain experience of the energy of the movement of the symbol. I'm curious, B, uh, to me, learning about the arrows was essential in my inner work. So as a five, I saw that I lacked uh, the energy of eight, and I developed it. And then more recently, I noticed I had too much eight and not much seven, and I also made sure that I changed. What about you? What is your personal history with arrows, and how working with that helped you personally? Well, I, th I think... That's a, I think it's good to start with our personal stories. And I need to back up again to say that one of the really important aspects of the arrows that we teach is that when you work with these two arrow line connected points, it's very important to, to do that in a specific order, right? Yes. So for instance, I'm a two and I'm, my type two is connected to four and eight. Now, if you're looking at the symbol with the arrows in the proper places, um, there is an arrow from four pointing to two and from two pointing toward eight. So the movement goes from four to two and from two to eight. Now, one of the things that we, we focus on a lot that we really emphasize is that when you're working with these two arrow line connected points for growth, and by the way, I think even just the fact that we identify with one Enneagram type is an example of how part of part of having a type in the way that we talk about it with the Enneagram is a kind of stubborn fixation on seeing the whole world, the, the, the world of wholeness that's symbolized by the circle of the Enneagram through a narrow slice or a overly narrow lens. So for instance, I look at the whole world through the lens of type two, and, th and that's going to limit me in various ways. And one of the things we're talking about with the arrow lines is how to start encompassing different perspectives as a way of creating more balance. But when you use your two arrow lines, you're starting with two points that you have special access to and that are specially, specially designed to balance out the perspective of your main type. Great, I like this. And um, I think personality is one of those uh, things that can have different uh, explanations or uh, synonyms or definitions. And one of them, if you look at the Enneagram symbol, is your personality is a resistance against going along with the arrows and the wings. 
and the wings are the lateral points in the circle. So you mean one, you mean the points on either side of yeah, your main point the along the circle. So for you, B, as a two, your arrow points are four and eight, as you said, but your wings wings are one and three. Right. For me, my arrow points as a five are eight and seven, but my wings are four and six. Right. So when we stubbornly, as you said, um, resist. Um, going with the flow of life that right. is always taking us to those four other points, we we are fixated in personality. Exactly, and we we can almost see life as an intelligent flow of energy or movement, in that we encounter things every day that might open our perspective to seeing things a different way, but we can tend to unconsciously just keep seeing things through the same lens of our type and not kind of go with the flow or meet the opportunity of different things that might bring us to a different place or a different perspective. Right. And uh, if we understand that, we may understand what the Enneagram really is. It, it is a map to raise awareness. By moving us to different perspectives. Exactly. And, and we shouldn't be too much anthropocentric in thinking that we make our evolution happen all the time. Anthropocentric meaning, <laughs> I can't even say it. Meaning that we think that we as limited human beings are running the show and making everything happen. Are moving everything. So instead, we need to know that life is always providing us with opportunities to go to those wings and arrows points, arrow points so that we evolve. We'll provide examples for the different types uh, going forward, but to get back to my own type, I'm a two, I'm, and my two aeroline connected points are four and eight. Now, one of the things that you may have heard when you've learned about these Enneagram aeroline points are that they each of these two points have been called stress and security points. So the arrow against, so in my case, that would be four, has been called the security point. And in my the, case, it would be eight. And the arrow with, so the, the direction going from two forward uh, to eight uh, would be called the stress point. Now... For me, type point seven. Now, I think there is some truth in that. However, I think it's a little more complicated that, than I, that. I agree. I think that we can go to either arrow line connected point in times of stress. Different kinds of stress. Right. And different kinds of reactions to stress. So in other words, you can go to your security point when you're stressed in order to have something to hold on to or as kind of a regression into maybe even a younger state or a, a way of being that helps you feel more comfortable yeah. when you're stressed. To me, B, the thing is we can go to those arrow points unaware and as, um, you know, we, we're just taking their um, um, getting the worst of those two points, or we can use our awareness to go to them. And when we do, we may feel challenged in both ways, in, when we go to both arrows. And that is a little bit stressful. So I just want to restate this just because it's such an important point. I think we can go to either arrow line connected point in an unconscious way, uh, under stress, uh, kind of as a release valve 
uh, when we're maybe focusing a lot on our main point. And when we do that unconsciously, we tend to go to the low side of those two points. We and and act, therefore, we get even worse than before. We act out the less healthy qualities of the two airline connected points. We don't turn into those points completely, but we may act like that. But again, in, in the less healthy, less self-aware ways. I, yes. And I would add, we develop new tools to perpetuate our ego. It's like we get new strategies coming from those other two points to do what's the worst on us. Right. Or we just stay stuck in a different way might be another way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, but when we go to those two airline connected points with awareness and presence and a lot of intention, then I think we create a lot of opportunity for growth and transformation. Yeah, and I think those opportunities are offered by life when we, we get offered um, awareness paths. But we not all, always see them and we not always say yes to them. We don't always see them. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah. Thank you for correcting my English. <laughs> I, I need that. Okay. So um, as a two, um, I would then need to work on four first, right? Before working on integrating my Enneagram, you know, the Enneagram qualities of type eight, um, I would need to go to four first is how we might say it. Otherwise? Otherwise, if I just go to eight and try to develop the qualities that eights have as a way of balancing myself out, we our theory is, is that the, any change that might occur would not be sustainable because uh, the airline against is often representative of qualities or abilities, capacities that needed to or were somehow left behind in childhood. Right. Yes. And... Um... Uh, I think that you were mentioning the approach to the arrows that call them security and stress. Right. And maybe now we can explain that although that's right, we don't believe it's the point because they usually end up describing the more unconscious and not so healthy movement to those two points. Uh, we need to use the two points instead as resources for growth. Right, right. So instead of seeing them as something that just kind of happens to you when you're in conditions of security or stress, uh, these are developmental opportunities. Yeah. They need to be voluntary movements that uh, we uh, take in. Right, that we undertake with a lot of conscious intention. Yeah. Intention for uh, um, getting into our own discomfort zone and, and grow up. So the arrow against uh, is, as we said, a, a, a point where we sometimes get in touch with something that was discouraged or not supported in childhood. Now, that, and why is it the childhood be? Well, we sometimes also say that the Enneagram is like a time machine. And the arrow against is going, when you go against the arrow, it's a little like you're going back in time almost a regression to the past or to childhood. And it's almost like giving yourself a new opportunity to reclaim uh, what you may have not been able to develop in childhood because your environment just didn't support it. Yeah. 
So, and going with the arrow is? And then going with the arrow is like going into the future. It's like the path of spiritual growth <laughs> as you move forward in into your future. Right, yeah. So going against the arrow is a little bit like connecting to your younger self. And going with the arrow is connecting to your future self. Right. And so when we go against the arrow, uh, like for me, I'm a two. For me, that would mean in a very intentional way, focusing on developing some healthy type four qualities. Mm -hmm. So what are what are healthy fours really good at? And we're going to describe all those for all nine types in a minute. Right. But what going to four means for me as a two is something very important. As a two, my attention tends to be focused on the outside world, on other people. And one of the things I need to develop is a more internal focus to balance out my attention on other people, what other people are needing and feeling uh, with a connection, more of a stronger connection to my own needs, my own feelings, my own inner experience. And so it's very important for me to be able to have a way of developing that. And one way of doing that is to, in a very conscious way, notice what healthy fours do. They are more in touch with their needs. They're more in touch with their authenticity. Twos, as a two, I tend to be a shapeshifter. So when I first started working on myself in my late 20s, early 30s, I realized I didn't know who I was. I didn't have a very strong sense of self because I was always being who other people wanted me to be because I wanted to be liked. And my coping strategy, uh, unconscious of course, was to turn into whoever someone wanted me to be so that I could create a positive connection with that person. But when I go to four, I get more in touch with my emotions, the full range of my emotions. I get more in touch with my needs. I get I get more in touch with the idea that all emotions are valid and that you shouldn't be embarrassed to be emotional. Fours are very good at standing up for uh, the, the validity, the importance of being emotionally sensitive and being in touch with your feelings. And then you can also be in touch with your own emotions uh, as opposed to just uh, paying attention to other people's emotions. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about is coming inside myself instead of always having my attention on the outside. It's like a natural balancing out to come to four. Right. So what else should we say about the arrows in general before we describe all the nine movements? Well, a couple more things. Um, and that is oftentimes we see that when people work on the arrow against, it's a kind it's a very important kind of uh, return to childhood. In fact, Almas calls the arrow against the, the the soul child point. And if you look at your own history, often you can see that what that arrow represents was something that just didn't work in childhood or was discouraged. For me, uh, there wasn't really a lot of room for my emotions, that my emotions weren't seen and supported in my environment. So I was motivated not to be in touch with my own feelings and even to repress them and avoid them and then be embarrassed if I showed them in my life. So it seems that um, those crucial moments when our personality has uh, gotten fixated uh, had to do with disconnecting from the arrow against Oftentimes, yes. And so when we do that really important work, it's almost like regress regressing to childhood to re 
to to reclaim or develop these important qualities that somehow got left behind. So uh, besides uh, noticing how we're disconnecting from that uh, arrow against point, how we disconnect uh, from that arrow against point, we can remember times when we were connected to it. Right, and sometimes when we work with people on the Enneagram mat and we bring them physically against the arrow to that that point that that line connects them to, we see them having a, a, an experience of regressing, regressing to childhood and having an, an experiential opportunity to feel into uh, what they need to uh, reclaim, reown, develop that they don't always have. Can you, you just uh, share another word about what you mean by working with someone on the Enneagram mat? When we do workshops and retreats, one of the many things we do is we work with a, a large Enneagram mat that we put on the floor and we physically move people on it to help them get in touch with these energies. Uh, one more thing I'll say about myself. I know for me, it, it was a really important thing for me to be able to get more in touch with oh, my emotions, to get more comfortable with feeling strong emotions the way healthy fours do, uh, and to be able to connect to myself in a way that was more conscious and more deliberate. Now, after uh, you move to the arrow against, then it's almost like you have more inner stability. You have more inner resources to make the trip to the other arrow line point. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So instead of calling the arrow against the security point, we call it the energizing point because we get back to an energy that we've been missing that can uh, really help us be more complete and, you know, negotiate a bit with the um, limitations or neuroses of our own type. And then when we go with the arrow, we call that other point resolution point. Because um, after getting that energy from the, the arrow against, we can actually resolve some old uh, conflicts, old issues, and we'll challenge ourselves in ways that will make a whole big difference in our lives. And this might be a good moment to point out that we very consciously don't use the language of integration and disintegration. So if you've been around the Enneagram for a while, you may have noticed that some people describe the arrow against that we're describing as the energizing point or has been called the security point. People have called that the integration point. Well, we think that there are important things to be integrated at both arrow line connected points. So we don't call one the integration point. We we think that's uh, a little bit misleading. Now, we especially don't call the arrow with, so in my case, uh, being a two, the, the movement to eight, we don't call that the disintegration point. Now, there's a very important reason for that, and that is because we see that as the point of spiritual growth. That is the direction of real spiritual growth. After you've gone to the arrow against, then the the really important challenge is to embody the high side qualities of that uh, point. That and and very contrary to be, being a disintegration and that being the end of the story, it's actually a point of uh, balance. It's an antidote in a different way to the main type. Now. I think uh, one of the reasons why it may have been called a disintegration point is because it brings up defenses. It can be a hard movement to that type. 
Uh, it can be a movement that does entail some stress, but I really like the way Sandra Maitri talks about it. And she says, yes, it brings up stress to go to that point, but when we overcome that stress, when we deal with those defenses, it really opens up a lot of possibility for transformation. Yes. And I think what's truly important for people who came from that um, previous approach, talking about integration and disintegration, is to understand that both arrow points can, be, can bring us good or bad stuff. So we can go against or with the arrow, getting the worst of those types. When it's unconscious. And we can go with um, against or with the arrow, getting very good things when it's conscious. Exactly. And so there's no such a thing like one of the connecting points being good and another one being bad. Exactly, exactly. Now, one other point, B, before we talk about the nine types, is that the wings, uh, the two lateral points on the circle, can also be seen or should also be seen as resources for growth. So what's the difference? The difference is that using the wings as resources for growth um, is easier. Um, you know, the, what we get from those two points uh, that we call wings um, is not as difficult to bring in, to take in, and to develop in ourselves. But also, the result is not completely transformational. It's like we are more flexible, we are nicer, a little bit more plural. They're easier, right? They're more easier. gentle shifts, let's say. Yeah. While the movement to the arrows are more radical. We sometimes say that when we uh, use the wings point, wing points, it's, uh, we are searching for evolution. While when we use the arrow points, we are searching for revolution. Or making revolution. Yes. Making it happen. They are more alchemical, potentially. Right. And for me, to go back to me as an example, when I, when I, you know, one and three are, can be really important stretches for me, my wings. Now, some people may have noticed that we don't talk about wings in the way they're often talked about. We don't see wings as like a static list of traits. Like there is one kind of thing that is a two with a three wing or a six with a five wing or an eight with a nine wing. We think that while our wing points do color our main points, and in fact, each point is kind of defined by the tension uh, of the characteristics of the two wings, we think that it's really much more individual it, based on your history or your background or your family dynamics that that your wings can influence you in different ways that there's not like one the wings aren't subtypes they aren't this they aren't sort of a, a particular thing like when someone says you know there are three with a four wing i have no idea what that means so i understand that maybe they relate to four but how they relate to four and how colors how four colors are three that person would need to explain that to me. So we, we work a little bit against the traditional notion of wings as subtypes. And, and of course, we focus a lot on the instinctual subtypes. But when we talk about wings, what we mostly use them for is, as you're saying, developmental opportunities. Yeah, we are, um, as a school on Chestnut Pies, we are more concerned with how the two wings can help us grow than concerned with how to explain our limited personality tendencies because we use one wing more than the other. 
Exactly. So for me as a two, there are going to be times when it really helps me to lean into my three wing, like when I'm in a bad mood and I'm not getting anything done and I need to just kind of get over myself and really start making things happen and and moving through the to-do list. Or uh, when I'm sort of looking over some of the details and kind of trying just to get done with something, it can help me to lean into my one wing and, and be a little more methodical uh, the way healthy ones can be. Uh, but then when we're talking about the airline points, if you look at each type, and we're going to do this in a minute, and the two airline connected points, you can see they're just the perfect antidotes in two different ways that create just the exact balance that that, that type needs. So in a nutshell for me, as a two, when I can go to four, and it's important for me to go to four first so that any change that I can do going to eight is more sustainable. When I go to four, I get more in touch with myself. I balance being focused on the outside with focusing more on the inside. I get more accepting of all my emotions and my emotional responses. I get maybe more creative and not just base what I do on what other people approve of. I come more from a knowing of who I am. I become more authentic to who I really am. Uh, And then when I go to eight, um, it's another kind of perfect uh, antidote for me as a two in that uh, I, I get more direct. Twos can be very indirect because uh, we have a hard time saying no and we don't necessarily want to ask for what we need because we fear rejection. So when I go to eight, I can be more direct, more assertive. I can use anger in constructive ways. I can deal with conflict more proactively, more intentionally, uh, more courageously. Uh, and I can step into my power, which I'm often fearful of doing when I'm in two. Yeah. What about I, you? Just no, I just want to say, B, that um, I like you anyway. <laughs> but when you're using your arrows, it's a little easier to deal with you. Interesting. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah, I think that uh, you are less indirect, and I appreciate that as a five. You just go straight to the point in a very authentic way as a four. And I have four as one of my wings. Mm -hmm. So actually, we can meet each other there in our friendship and professional relationship Mm -hmm. in ways that we manifest what we are, uh, we share what we are feeling, and then we solve potential issues. And then... When you are assertive at eight, I also can be that because we also meet in there. Right. It's, it's your arrow with and my arrow against. Right. So it's quite useful in relationships if you see where are the points that uh, both have access to, e- either, either by wings or arrows. Does it mean I'm more developed than you are, that eight is my stress point or a point that's more challenging for me and it's your more basic point that you go to first? I think you are more developed than me. (laughs) But I don't think that's what that that movement means. I don't think meeting at eight necessarily means that. Yeah, I just think that uh, we go to the best sides of us. I think that that's what this is all about. Right. And I think especially when we're doing it more consciously, and certainly we've talked about how we meet at eight and meet in four. And sometimes I forget that. <clears throat> and I think when I forget it, it's when maybe we I do it in ways that aren't so elegant, let's say. Yeah, it's just that sometimes we all have blind spots that we think that if we use those two arrows, we'll be less nice. But actually, some people appreciate it a lot. Like, Choose think that if they get the authenticity of force and then go to wait and be very direct, that they people won't like them. And in my case, I like you even more. 
That's great. And I know that people respect me more when I'm more direct and more assertive and it feels like a risk, like maybe they won't like me. But I think you're right. I think most of the time, uh, because I'm more centered, uh, I'm more intentional, I'm more clear that it's a good thing for everyone. Right. And most important, I think you will be respecting yourself more. Exactly. And, you know, being more Again, I think it's a these points stretch us in directions when we do them intentionally that uh, just make us more able to be more whole. Yes. So should we talk about the nine types? Is there anything else we've left out about this? We talked about the Enneagram as a time machine, which I think is a very interesting concept. We've talked about how you need to go against the arrow first before going with the arrow. We've talked about how there are these two levels of movement, unconscious and conscious. Um, I think that covers it. And I guess we can always bring anything else in that we want to. Yeah, but right after our break. Become a member now at Chestnut Pies Online for a lot more Enneagram content from B and Udanio. Sign up for the annual plan and get access to hundreds of audio files, videos, monthly online classes, articles, and even full online Enneagram workshops. It's a great value. Visit www.cpenneagram.com. If you like this podcast, visit www.cpenneagram.com for much more great Enneagram content. So let's talk about the unconscious movement and the conscious movement of uh, along the arrow lines of type 8. Let's start with the unconscious ones, um, meaning that um, when 8s go to 2 and 5, they get not so healthy. Right. So what is the unhealthy side of 2s for 8s in the unconscious movement? What do you think, B? Well, I think they can uh, worry about others more, worried about what other people think of them a little bit more, uh, get more in touch with fear of disapproval, uh, or maybe even uh, overgive as a kind of acting out behavior. It can be maybe more invasive or more manipulative the way unhealthy twos can. And you know those moments when you see some aids doing a little bit of uh, tantrum, and, but in a way that's more aggressive than the tantrum that Jews do. Right, a little more explosive. Yeah, and I think this is not healthy. It's like uh, very demanding on the other, and AIDS can get manipulative also. What about when AIDS go uh, to five um, in a not-so-healthy way, B? When eights go to five in an unconscious way, they get quieter. It's almost like they have a bunker mentality. They withdraw. They may not share as much with other. They may hide out and avoid dealing with people uh, and maybe think and strategize a little bit more about how, how to dominate a situation or get their way. Yeah, you know, eights have a preference of responding right away and not waiting. But sometimes that's not possible. And it's like strategizing vengeance in a way that's not healthy at all. And vengeance can be even harsher when they do that. And vengeance is a lower side of AIDS. And you know when, I think a good image is a lion that's caged. 
and that's you know getting angrier and angrier but you don't see that yet it's just accumulation of anger and sometimes they become much less active in a not so healthy way so what about the healthy movement to for AIDS oh it's beautiful to see when AIDS go to to becoming truly vulnerable and emotional tender or even just more approachable and softer and sharing a little bit more of themselves. Yes, and mostly emotional, I'd say. Um, it's so powerful to see AIDS being more emotional and, and being more... Um, more empathetic. Empathetic, a bit more respectful because they listen better. Mm -hmm. They are uh, nicer with people. They are more appropriate in what they say, how they approach people. Right. It's like eights can be focused on where they're going and what they want to accomplish. Uh, and when they connect to two, it's like it tempers that a bit and it makes them more connected to other people and and, yeah. and more I mean, in an empathetic space. Yeah. And not only empathetic, they become quite generous. Eights have a big potential for being generous. And um, that is brilliant, a brilliant way to... Um, you know, add something very nice to the already nice assertiveness of AIDS. So what about the movement to five? Well, I think that AIDS learn how to count to three before doing. Right. To analyze, um, you know, consequences of what they will do. To think a bit more before they act. Yes, and, and it's like calibrating the strength that they will use in whatever they are going to do. It's like eights in excess, the excess of the passion of lust, when they are purely eights, they, they go for uh, too little or too much. Um, it's excess in any uh, of, of the two sides. And sometimes they don't know their impact, so they don't know how much uh, force to bring, let's yeah. say. And they don't know their impact because they are disconnected from the heart and they can connect back to it on two and because they are not observing. Um, when they are disconnected from five. So on five, they observe, and they know the impact by observing, but also five means going to the middle point. And they balance their energy more and <coughs> allow others to have more independence, and they don't exactly. necessarily need to impose their way as much. They're yeah. a little bit more inside themselves. Right. And, you know, eight, while eights are excessive, fives are controlled, self-controlled. And that is good for an excessive person, an eight. Exactly. So and they now, become more mental. It's not only about doing. Right. They plan, they analyze, they analyze after things happen. So now what about type nine? What about the unconscious movement of type nine? And that would be first to three and then to six. When they go to three uh, in a, an unconscious way, they may do too much out of an awareness. They may just do automatically in a way that they don't stop. It's hard to stop. It's hard for nines to start, but it's even harder to stop them after they are doing something. Right. And they may be more productive, but they may it may be motivated by anxiety or they may be more scattered. Their efforts may not be so so focused because you know there are nine going to three in a way that's not so intentional yeah and many times they are going um, to action doing even more than before 
but still for others, right. and not and, for themselves. And maybe not the essential thing they need to do for themselves, maybe more inessential things that are right. really distractions from what they really should be doing or from their main goals. And the inessential things have to do with looking outside there to what other people want, and it like could... threes do. And it could be getting busy in service of avoiding conflict, for instance, yes. which nines tend to avoid conflict a lot. Right. And then when they go to six? When they go to six, they may that you may see bursts of anger for not being considered or protected. There may be more contact with fear and anxiety, and they may act that out in not very conscious ways, uh, passive ways. Uh, they may get more passive resistant because maybe it's coming from a fearful place or a sense that uh, things aren't going in the way they'd like, but they don't say it, but instead they kind of go against more a little bit covertly. Yes. You know that moment when nines can keep smiling at you, in yes. front of you, yes. but deep inside they're not trusting anything you're saying, they're questioning, they're doubting. Right. That's a little bit of the the unhealthy movement to sex. Right, exactly. And they may focus on problems more and especially threats to their comfort because nines are very oriented towards staying comfortable. And then um, they add up even a little bit more of a tendency to procrastinate also. Right, exactly. exactly. And, but there is a healthy movement. So, so when they use the arrow against as the energizing point, going uh, healthily to three, what happens, B? So when nines go to three in a conscious way, uh, and this, this is a way that they get energized by having more specific, clear goals that are both based more on what they really need to do for themselves. They may take charge of their own life a little bit more. They may become more self-confident, more open to being recognized for the good things they do. When nines are, are in nine, they tend to be embarrassed about being the center of attention. But when they go to three, they can be more welcoming of getting the credit for things, and, which they deserve. Yes. So it's about saying more the word I, me. Mine, these words. Right, and engaging in positive self-promotion. Mm. Yeah, and this gives me an opportunity to say something else in general about the arrow movements. Many times, the things we criticize the most have to do with things that we would develop when we go healthily to one of the arrows. You mean uh, something that we tend to we tend to judge because we are we are not really able to have that capacity ourselves yeah many times whenever we say something bad or think something bad about someone we are just resisting doing that ourselves and that's what we need to do so we're resenting someone for being able to do something we can't do but exactly. would secretly like to do exactly so for nines it's like one of the things that bothers uh, bothers the nines the most is people who show off who talk a lot about themselves but this is exactly what they need to do as nines. And they learn how to do that when going to three. So we also can't idealize much what uh, we should do when we go to the arrows. Like for nines, 
it might even be a little healthy to become more selfish and more individualistic, thinking of themselves first. Well, and especially clarifying their own priorities and focusing a lot on their own priorities and turning those priorities into goals that they then work toward in a more in a more proactive way. Instead of doing everything for others first. Right. right, or just not being in touch with what they really want or what they need to do for themselves mm-hmm. or be doing what they're good at and taking in the positive feedback for that. And these are all things that can happen when they go healthily to three, but then they need to go to six. Right, so after nines integrate these healthy qualities of three, they go to six. And what happens when nines go to six? So they learn how to say no, how to go against, how to build boundaries, like healthy six do. Right, because sixes can be good at stating their own positions or naming problems or issues in a proactive way, in a way that other people may not want to hear, but they're motivated to say it because they want to point out the threats and risks and priorities that need to be addressed. Yes. And um, nines, when they don't uh, practice these uh, healthy movements, they tend to just go along with whatever other people say, right? Without questioning them too much. But when they go healthily to six, they start questioning. They don't take in whatever comes from the others just because it's coming from someone else. Right. And healthy sixes can speak truth to power. They can very courageously kind of go against the authority or rebel in a way that might need to happen. Stick up for the underdog, uh, but take a risk in maybe even starting conflict in a way that sometimes nines can be afraid to do. But when they can go to six and and embody the courage and strength that healthy sixes have, they can start up the conflict and not just uh, avoid it or run away from it. Right. So time to talk about one. So first of all, the unconscious movements of type one. When one's uh, aren't, aren't being conscious, they can go to seven and four in in ways that aren't so positive, that aren't so uh, helpful for them. Uh, and when they go to seven, uh, out of, uh, again, just out of stress or out of unconsciousness, uh, it can be kind of like there's a nervous energy that fuels a focus on pleasure that isn't really restorative, that isn't really maybe that fun for them, uh, but it's almost like they're trying to get away from some sort of resentment or anger or irritation by using humor. That You might see a, a one being sarcastic or, yeah. or acting fun, but... Uh, just being uh, resentful of the fact that they have to be so responsible. Yes, and it's like ones can have a great sense of humor, but when they go to seven in an unhealthy way, they can be cynical. They can be ironic in ways that are not good. So it's like using humor to convey the anger that's in the inside. Right, and it can be a kind of impulsiveness that expresses more anxiety and frustration than a true uh, opening up to uh, something pleasurable or relaxing or fun. Right, and then what is the unhealthy side of going to fours at times for once? Well, I've noticed that some ones, when they go to four in an unconscious way, they can get depressed or uh, despairing, or it's almost like a stressful move drives them to be even more self-critical, like 
uh, more deeply self-critical, not just noticing an error that they might have made and correcting it, but almost getting more into that feeling like there's something wrong with them at a deep level because they're not perfect. It's like instead of um, stopping being so self-critical, they add self-loathing to self-criticism. Right. And and ones by nature tend to put a lid on, on a lot of their emotions, but it's almost like they get more emotional in a way that's kind of overwhelming and that actually causes some distress. Yeah, and sometimes they get emotional still being alone, still retaining the emotions like some fours do. Yes, again, it's like they can go a bit into a hole, into a depression, and not really know how to deal with that experience. But there is hope for once if they use the movements as uh, energizing and resolution points. So what can be good for for once when they go to seven? Well, I think this is one of the clearest examples of how these airline movements are so good for people. It's so fun to see ones in <laughs> yes. at workshops when they do that. Yes, it's like Sometimes ones will say they weren't really allowed to play and be free as children. Maybe they got criticized or they had to be responsible at an early age. And so when they go to seven, it's like they learn to become more flexible. They learn to allow themselves to be more creative, more spontaneous, uh, more future-oriented in a positive way instead of uh, trying to make everything perfect way. You know what I observe, Bea? Mm -hmm. That once going to seven in the good way, it makes them look like they are 10 years younger. Yes. It's like becoming youthful, playful, and being uh, in a silly in a good way, you know? Yes. And less serious. I've seen some really healthy ones, and they're so funny and light. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of, of the positive moment, movement for any type to any type. But for if you know a one that is really accessing seven in, a, in an intentional, positive way, um, you can see the power of these airline movements. And it's also about flexibility, innovation, creativity, curiosity. Not doing things always according to the rule book or the process or the structure, but allowing for more free thinking. Spontaneity. Yeah, exactly. And um, when they go to four? When they go to four, they get access to deeper feelings in a way that feels enriching instead of stressful, I think. Yeah, I also think that one of the resolutions ones get uh, on four is that they stop uh, controlling themselves so much. Fours are not exactly self-controlling. Well, too, because they recognize that it's okay to be emotional. And yeah. so uh, I think ones when they go to four in a healthy way, they embrace their emotions more, even anger uh, and fear and sadness. They get more in touch with these feelings and they realize it allows them to connect more to who they really are rather than just trying to be a, a, a perfect human or someone who is doing everything right. I also think they express more all of that. Yes, it's like almost they allow for a healthy, uh, a healthy lessening of self-control uh, in terms of being able to express their true identity in a more creative way, in ways that are more natural, that aren't so tempered by uh, what they can think of as their need to uh, be appropriate. Yeah, and it's like um, allowing 
themselves to do what they want to do instead of what they ought to do. What they should do or yeah. what they must do. Yes. Allowing, allowing them to go for meaning rather than just following yeah. the rules. So type two. I know a little bit about this type since this is my type. And I've already said a few things about uh, going to four and eight. But um, in an unhealthy way, I'll say that I've seen myself become more emotional in a way that feels a little bit out of control, like too moody, having a temper tantrum, or getting really stuck in hopelessness. I've had that experience. Like I can go to a place where everything's bad and I kind of convince myself that there's no hope and almost as a defensive way of not trying to change anything, of sort of wallowing in a kind of suffering. Yes, it's when choose, get fixated on feeling misunderstood and not appreciated. Exactly. And maybe becoming uh, overly needy in a way that we don't own. And so, you know, almost standing up for our needs in an angry way after we've neglected our own needs for a long time. Right. And going to wait in the bad way? So in an, when, when I go to eight unconsciously, I notice I can have real explosions of anger that are very uncontained and that aren't very uh, constructive, let's say. I can get bossy and pushy and controlling so all of a this, sudden. Is this why sometimes I tell you that you might be bossy? Um, I, I have no idea why you would tell me I could be bossy because I, I know I'm always being bossy for your own good. <laughs> and I can also be bossy, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, yeah, I also think the, um... And I know you only call me your boss to humor me. No, I don't. You make You're me think I'm in charge. Okay. So I think that juice can also become excessive. When they go to weights. Definitely. I can become very excessive. It's like I've neglected my own needs or I've, I've tolerated my own needs going unexpressed. And then I can get really self-indulgent. Like I'm going to just buy everything at the store to make myself feel better. Uh, I can sort of eat too much, drink too much. Uh, and, and I can also go to a place sometimes, you know, unhealthy eights will see their truth as the only truth, but I can definitely do that. Oh. Okay. And it's quite beautiful in my view to see choose when they do the right movement. And you talked a little bit about that. What would you add be? Yes. I think, you know, I used to go for in a go to four in a less conscious way, especially when I'd been around people a lot, a lot. And finally I'd get alone and I'd just start crying. Um, now I think that I don't allow myself to get to that point. I more go into my emotions more as a choice, more uh, as a resource to connect more to myself, to understand that my deeper emotions bring information about who I am and give me more of a sense of myself. And so I think there's a way that I recognize my own needs. I recognize my emotions and I embrace them as opposed to say being embarrassed by them or thinking that I'm not supposed to be emotional um, and almost get in touch with a positive kind of pain, like a pain that needs to be felt and worked through in order to move forward in some way. Yeah, because the pain that more basic Jews get in touch with is just the pain of other people not valuing them, not, not saying good things or appreciating their help. While when they go to four in a deeper way, 
they get in touch with truer pain of themselves, that of their biographies. And by doing that, I, I always feel very touched when I see that it choose become more humble. It's like uh, in personality, uh, with pride, choose uh, think they are above all those that pain. And when they go to four and they get in touch with that, everybody around starts seeing them as equals. Or, or even more than that, I think my experience has been that I was, I was often afraid of my own emotions. I didn't know what would happen if I really allowed myself to cry or to be angry. It was sort of unknown territory because I would repress feelings out of a fear that they would get between me and other people. Like people won't like me if I'm angry or sad. But now I think I can see my emotions as a powerful source of sensitivity and strength and emotional intelligence. And another example is, you know, when I became a psychotherapist, I noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of my four friends were really good psychotherapists because they're really empathetic when they're working on themselves and they're really good at accepting pain as part of life and supporting other people in feeling their pain, almost standing up for the value of emotion. And I think that was something I learned when I was becoming a psychotherapist that felt like me getting more in touch with four, the four in me in a good way. Mm-hmm. And then... Going to eight, they can uh, just set better boundaries yes, to other people that's very important. And, and to be more direct in saying what they don't want uh, other people to do. Yes, it's very hard to be direct as a two. And so thinking of my healthy eight friends, it really helps me to be more assertive and just say my truth. Uh, and to know that honesty is the best policy, that you don't have to sugarcoat it, that ac- that actually creates more problems. Uh, and I think, too, being able to learn to be angry and have conflict in constructive, positive ways, in, in ways like usually I try to do it after I've processed my emotions and I've gotten clearer on how I feel and what I need and what I want and, and what my opinions are. Uh, then I can take action and be more direct and be clearer, uh, which often helps me become closer to people. You know, I would always be afraid that if I have a conflict with someone, if I expressed anger, that the relationship would be ruined. Uh, But on the contrary, when I can go to eight in a healthy way, um, I can make myself heard and even get clearer on my position in a way that I think helps me have better relationships. Good. Now... Type three. So the unconscious movement of type three, uh, when they go to six, uh, can look like becoming a bit paranoid and fearful, uh, becoming uh, more anxious. And sometimes this happens if uh, if they slow down or if uh, something happens that that prevents them to getting from getting to their goal. Uh, what they else? Become more anxious, and you know I see some uh, three uh, leaders that when getting to the not-so-healthy six space, they really don't trust other people, and they ask for two different people to do the same job, or uh, they confront, or they can manage by conflicts, out of the, um, you know, bad energy coming from six. Right, right. Um, Another thing uh, that might happen with threes when going to six is some analysis paralysis at times. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure if we should do that. Maybe that can happen and so on. So normally, 
threes are pretty fast in decision making, mm -hmm. but if they are not fast, they're very slow. It's like they will they will not move on because of fear of image or, or some fear, or fear that they are not seeing something. Fear of failure can yes, come up. Yes, fear of failure is a big thing for threes. Yes. Now, when they go to nines in a not-so-healthy way? When they go to nine in an unhealthy way, in an unconscious way, I, I, kinda, I hear threes tell stories about, I just collapse on the couch and watch Netflix all weekend. It's like a zoning out that's like a complete getting away from the momentum and the movement and the, the forward progress that they're often in. That may take weeks at times. Yes, it's like they get stuck in inaction uh, because, and sometimes this is a form of collapse because mm -hmm. they've been working so hard. Could be a burnout also at times, um, which is the body, and again, type nine is the body is in the body center. The body is reclaiming back a slower pace, but because the three has exaggerated first in a um, very high pace, they may come back to the lowest pace ever when they go uh, to nine under stress. Right, exactly. And sometimes they can start uh, avoiding conflict more. Uh, normally, threes can be pretty decisive, and they can, they'll say that you know, they don't love conflict, but they can do it. But they may get more indecisive. They may avoid things more. Now, when threes go to six in a, a healthy way, they start just asking the, the, the most important questions ever. And the best one is, who am I? If I, I keep shape-shifting, shape what is the truth about myself? Like sixes ask questions of all sorts. And if threes do more of that in a healthy way, that's great. Yes, and, and when threes go to uh, six in a healthy movement, it's also about slowing down and allowing themselves to get in touch with fear in a healthy way. Uh, sometimes they can be charging toward a goal and they aren't really looking at the dangers and they may, uh, they may stumble because they haven't thought everything through because they wanted to move forward so quickly. So when they go to six in a healthy way, they can slow down a little bit and do what healthy sixes do and say, okay, what do I need to be aware of? What do I need to look out for? What, how do I need to be cautious in this situation? Yeah, like looking at risks instead of speeding forward and... It's like getting details right and uh, do more problem solving to optimize results instead of just going faster. Exactly, exactly. And then going healthily to nine, what happens, B? When they go to nine in a healthy way, they're able to relax in a more conscious movement. So oh, finally. It, yes, instead of like collapsing on the couch and, and needing to watch TV for three weeks, uh, they can do it in a more measured way. They can slow down and take care of themselves, find a better work-life balance, connect to other people more. Uh, like a lot of times when threes are, say, working with others, it's almost like they don't really want to hear what everyone says if they go against their goal or their plan. And so when they go to nine, it's almost like they get connected to people more in a positive way, the way healthy nines do by listening to people. Oh, and that's big. Be, that the, Learning how to listen to people online. And being more inclusive. More attention to others, not only to self. And most of all, learning to be and not just to do. Oh, wow. That's a good, a good three. 
It's like being able to be more easygoing, know who more of who they are instead of always needing to uh, perform or prove themselves. Let's do a short break. Hello, it's me, Uranio. Just to tell you that B and I launched a new online workshop called the Enneagram Masterclass. It's a six-hour video course that you can access at cpenneagram.com. You can go at your own pace and have lifetime access to it. Many beginner students have already watched it, but advanced students can also learn about the nine types in a deeper way. We can't wait for you to check it out. Get $75 off your purchase by using code chestnutpies75 on cpenneagram.com. B and Udanio teach in-person, inner work retreats and professional workshops all over the world. They happen twice a year in California, London, Shanghai, Sao Paulo, and Cairo, and sometimes in other countries and U.S. locations too. Hundreds of students from all places and levels of knowledge have joined these courses. You can see the full Chestnut Pies Enneagram Academy calendar of events at www.cpenneagram.com. Did you know you can study with B and Yiranyu and work toward becoming a certified Chestnut Pies Enneagram professional? Join one of their workshops for professionals interested in integrating the Enneagram in skillful and effective ways to build your confidence applying the Enneagram as a tool to support your clients' growth and development. Learn how at www.cpenneagram.com. Do you want to dive deeper into the Enneagram? Do you want to take your self-development to the next level? Join B and Udanio in their live retreats and register to be a part of their personal mastery program. You can become a Chestnut Pies Black Belt by taking all three of their intensive Enneagram-based inner work retreats. Now, fours. When fours go to one in an unconscious way, they can become critical, they can nitpick, they can get more controlling and be hard on themselves in a, in a very self-critical way. Yes. Also, I think that um, fours in, on four tend to have this tendency that things are never enough. Things are never completely beautiful or right. And when they go to one, that can get worse. Right. Uh, like uh, they will be even more picky and critical and, you know, being more detail-oriented. Maybe get lost in the details that aren't really that important because it's fueled by that four sense of what's missing or what's never going to be, mm-hmm. you know, be, be something that matches their ideal vision. Yeah, and they can become even more critical of self and others. Right, even to the point of being more masochistic. Mm-hmm. And then going to two, what can happen that's not so good? I think sometimes when fours go to two in an unconscious way, it's like they start focusing more on people, but in sort of an anxious way, uh, sort of like worrying too much about what other people think of them, trying to get others to approve of them in a way that's fueled by anxiety and a need for affirmation that's not coming from such a healthy place. And when they do that, they might even lose one of the good qualities they have, which is authenticity. Right, they can start shape-shifting more than, they, than is really natural for them to do instead of really uh, 
telling the truth, which fours are actually very good at. They can say things in a way that they think they need to say them because of that's what other people want to hear. Right. But fours can go to one in a great way, like getting more disciplined. And, you know, when, when fours have this capacity of saying, yes, I'm feeling a lot, but I have this thing to do in the next half hour. So you're saying when they get more practical. Yeah, that's excellent for force. By the way, getting a little busy in the good way uh, might be good for some force, not all, because then they will cope with the emotions. Emotions not always uh, need to postpone action. Right, exactly. And they also get more into their body, which I think is a good thing for fours. Instead of being so identified with emotions, getting not only getting more into action in a practical way, but feeling their body more, getting more in control of the oscillating emotions, not judging themselves for being emotion emotional, but uh, being able to be more steady in that they are balancing their emotionality with their need to be practical or achieve a certain goal or improve things in a way that's positive. Or even like putting their creativity into action. Right, and maybe a step-by-step -step way and, and following uh, structure, which I think can be really good for fours. I used on, to, yeah, sorry. I used to have a four friend who uh, sometimes when he would get overstressed, he would go into his garden and his garden was perfect. Like the rows of flowers, it was like an art piece, but being in his garden, being in touch with the earth, in touch with nature and doing things in a very structured way was very relaxing and, and good for him. Yeah, so fours can still do things perfectly, but add their own touch. Right, right. And in a way that supports themselves instead of being something where they uh, are harsh on themselves. And then going to two, I think that they finally learn how to get outside of themselves. What happens with fours is that they spend too much time in the inside, feeling, feeling, feeling. And on two, they look at others. Right. They balance the internal focus with more of a focus on the outside. They, they balance being focused on their internal territory with being focused on others. Uh, they also, I think, uh, focus on being of service, mm. on supporting others, which I think has a natural effect of getting them out of their own heads and getting them out of that comparing mode. And being less self-referencing. Right. It's not just about like how you might be better than me or I might be better than you or what you have that I don't have. It's actually about us being in relationship together and supporting each other and appreciating each other uh, in, in the way I think that healthy twos can do. Yeah. And sometimes when we look at others, we realize that others might have a situation that is, it is even harder than ours. Right. And another thing is, I think sometimes two, fours can get authentic, almost in a way of like, like um, daring other people to not appreciate, you know, who they are as an individual. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something that balances fours out at two, almost like yeah, I am who I am and I have a unique identity, but I can also be flexible if I want to connect with you. I can also meet you halfway. I don't have to stand up for being my authentic self. I can I can lessen my my worry about that and and be more easygoing and 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 be more likable uh, by being a, a little bit more uh, flexible in in what I might need to do to meet you halfway. So time for the 
head types starting with type 5. For us uh, type 5s, I think that we run a risk when we go to 8 of pushing people even more away with more assertiveness, more even, you know, verbal aggression at times. Uh, so we are still controlled by the isolation and the passion of avarice uh, when we use eight this way. What else, B? I think there's a way they may express power in service of withdrawing, making too many boundaries, being, having kind of a aggression behind their need for boundaries. Mm -hmm. Sometimes fives become a little more radical when they go to eight. They can be a little more eight. arrogant and dismissive of other people. Yeah. And then going to seven in a bad way, they can become distracted they can become really you know a little less responsible in terms of results or deadlines you know when you're nervous and you smile a lot that happens a lot with fives when they are really under pressure right i've seen that happen like at a cocktail party that a five didn't want to be at and they're trying to be social but there's a there's a sense of awkwardness and fear underneath it so they can be a little scattered and 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 not so self-confident and there is a way that sevens are not connecting they are also self-absorbed or distracted or just uh, going for stimulus outside there mm -hmm. and that can serve uh, fives who are still not willing to connect right that makes sense but when fives go to wait in a healthy way they reconnect um, it's wonderful to see that when i speak my truth when I say what I don't like, or when I truly go get closer to the person I'm disappointed at, I can start loving the person again. Mm. All I want at those moments is that the person can bear my, uh, what, that I'm speaking my truth and being not as calm as before. Oh. Now, eights, eights for fives represent not only authenticity, but also assertiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's needed for fives because mm -hmm. fives can get, can get very the, um, too much theoretical mm -hmm. or indirect, mm -hmm. um, not in touch with emotions. And I do think that anger is an emotion that can open up the whole heart for other emotions later. Right, right. It's like you can see fives own their strength and their power more when they go to eight in a healthy way, become more of a leader, uh, express their power in, in a good way, and, uh, and have positive conflicts, you know, dare to uh, be more, more assertive. Yeah. And I think that uh, fives reconnect to the body when they go to weights. Right. Uh, as fives, we have this greatest, crazy tendency be to think that the body is just a support for the head. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I've been around fives when they get in touch with their power and it can be mm -hmm. quite, uh, quite a knockout. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when they go to seven, uh, to, as a resolution point, they can be joyful. You know, it's so hard for a five to feel joyful. Right. Because when alone, you know, gathering knowledge or observing, it's not joyful. It's, right. it's nice. It fulfills right. parts of us. Mm -hmm. We can be happy, but not really joyful. Right. You know, so being joyful has always to do with feeling connected 
to mm-hmm. life, to emotions, to myself more fully, and to others, of course. Exactly. It's like it's like allowing yourself to go more for pleasure and more deeper contact with others instead of only being satisfied by the life of the mind. Oh, yeah. And I think that the Healthy Seven uh, movement um, brings spontaneity for five. Right. You know, in my teenage years, the thing that I missed the most in myself and I would see in others and would regret that I didn't have was spontaneity. Uh. And uh, I would suffer with that. And it took me a long time. I think that now in my life, I can be very spontaneous. And I feel so good when I'm that way. And now sometimes I suffer because of your spontaneity. Right. Oh, wow. (laughs) How so? You're so spontaneous now, like when you don't follow the outline that I've set up for our training. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) it could be a bad movement to seven, but many times I think it's a good one because I'm allowing myself to go with the flow. But I know that it's hard for your self-press instinct. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes I need to go to four and recognize that we need to allow for creativity in the moment. Right. And you've been doing that. And I really appreciate that. So we always find a middle point. And I think that's good. Yes, exactly. And these arrow line movements surely help us. Oh, wow. A lot. Yeah. Sixes. Sixes. So the unconscious movement of type six to nine often looks like... The six having less focus and anxiety kind of gets dispersed. Uh, They get more indecisive, more vague, uh, and they may vacillate between uh, being mistrustful of others and over-relying on others or being overly adaptable to others. Yes, and going to nine, sometimes sixes trust even less themselves. Yes, they can get more caught up in, in self-doubt, and that can lead to self-forgetting. Yeah, a lot. And it's funny that uh, sometimes sixes are very anxious, very, you know, stressed out, but sometimes they go to a point of giving everything up, you know, temporarily, mm-hmm. and that's also not too good. And that's when they use the nine point in a bad way. Mm, I see. And then when uh, sixes go to three in a bad way, you know when anxiety connects to um, nervous action and the person starts doing, 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 but without much focus or objectivity or doing what's not needed? That's sometimes what I see when sixes go to three in the unconscious movement. What about you, B? What do you see? Yes, I think sometimes there's a, a kind of taking refuge in achievement and uh, really sort of getting more active, uh, but in a way that isn't that ultimately productive. Mm. And also sometimes sixes start uh, seeking f- for too much approval and recognition by others. Right. Although for sixes, it's usually reaffirmation mm. more than approval. But on three, they can depend too much on what other people think. You mean reassurance? Reassurance, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that sixes and threes, it's almost like they, they get a little caught up in, in the activity of reaching goals and getting things done. And they kind of lose themselves and doubt themselves in a different way from just being sort of in action and not being able to slow down and be more grounded. 
Now the positive movement, when sixes go to nine, they relax. You know, so important for sixes to relax. Um, so uh, here's a point about general theory on arrows. Like you said, B, we need to go to the arrow against before we go with the arrow. So what that means is that before sixes learn how to go into action on three, they need to relax. Right. You know, there is a certain order of the factors yeah. for all of us. For sixes, before learning how to be more productive and going into action, procrastinating less, it's a must. They need to relax. Right. And that's done on point nine. Right. And if you ask nines if they trust people, most nines will say yes. They're pretty trusting. And I think that's another thing, good thing that happens for six when they go to nine in a conscious way is they start becoming more trusting. They start getting more connected to more people in a deeper way. They become less suspicious of others. And going to nine means also going to the body center and then the heart feels less anxious because there is a body underneath the heart. It's like the heart feels there is a cushion underneath it. Right. It's like they can take refuge a little bit more in the strength of their own body uh, than in fear, fearful scenarios that can get them thrown off. Right, and then going to three after going to nine, they can grow much faster uh, by stopping procrastinating, going for action, even if there's no certainty yet. But there is a, a decisiveness that comes up for sixes and they start valuing achievements and not only risks. Right, right. They not see, only mapping out risks. Exactly. Not only threats and risks and fears, but also opportunities. Opportunities to make progress, to achieve things, to be recognized for who they are. I think when sixes are really at six, they tend to be very self-deprecating. Mm. And they often feel uh, incapable of really taking their place and mm. being seen and recognized, say, as a leader, yeah. someone who's confident and decisive. And I think when they go to three, that really helps them with that. I agree. And, uh, you know, we say that sixes uh, have trouble with authority. And one yes. of the troubles is they are reluctant uh, to be in the authority. To own their own authority own. instead of projecting it onto, onto other people. Right. But when they go to three in this healthy way, they say, it's with me. I'll do it. You know, it's like electing oneself to be the ones. Yes. So now what about type seven? When sevens go to five in a bad way, I see things like, when they are getting in touch with pain, they stay alone. They don't show that. They don't share it with others. They don't process it because they don't want to hurt the image of being uh, positive people. Or also they um, sometimes become even more mental going mm -hmm. to five. Like they, they get even more distracted also and they go to mental activity in excess that pushes them away from the body and the heart. Right, and sometimes they can react to being too social, to being too isolated. Mm -hmm. They can get really quiet and kind of go inside themselves and not reach out to others when it would be good to do that. Right, right. Uh, now, going to one in, yeah. I Sorry, think one baby. more thing about five is, is sevens can get more anxious about freedom. 
Mm. Uh, and and if they feel limited anyway, if they feel like they're not getting what they need, there can be some anxiety that comes up and they can respond to that by mm. getting quieter, less spontaneous and a little more controlled and like you said, more mental. Yeah, I think this is a good point because both uh, type 7 and type 5 value freedom a lot. But, you know, 7s need to be less concerned with that. And when they go to 5 in this unhealthy way, they may get even more concerned with freedom. So when sevens go to one in an unhealthy way, what happens? They become very self-critical and especially critical of others. And a little bit like uh, it happens when ones go to seven, they can have uh, irony in their sense of humor and be a little more attacking in somewhat indirect ways, but become an inflexible even. Right, they can get more controlling, uh, more uptight, more tense. Uh, more irritable. And they can focus a lot on not getting things right or not being perfect and, and start to feel bad about that inside. It's funny that we observe at workshops that Either uh, sevens are not self-critical at all, or they are too much. Right. And they may not always show this, but they can start really beating themselves up inside. And while they might get more focused, they also uh, get more anxious and more irritable. Yeah. Now, when they go to five as a positive movement, they, they, they develop the capacity for introspection. They stay with themselves without needing too much external stimulus. And they, they, they um, also become more consistent because, you know, there's this tendency of sevens for uh, generalism, while fives go for uh, specializing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they can become more consistent, going deeper and deeper in one thing. Relative to that, sevens are often called uh, jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Yeah, yeah. And so when they go to five, they can replace that sort of breadth of interesting things they're doing, sort of going more shallowly into many, many things uh, with going more deeply into things they really care about or really interested in. They can learn more, research more, slow down, and really sink more into the moment and into an experience or learning more about something they care about. Right. So it's about developing a calmer and more centered energy. But and, then, yeah. And, and also I think they can deepen their relationships. Sometimes mm -hmm. they may, uh, because they tend to want to move fast or they can sometimes look, look for escape routes if discomfort comes up, uh, they can stick with that a little bit more and because there's something about sinking more into relationships or experiences that allows them to have a more calm, more centered energy uh, and even become more receptive to feedback because they're in a more thoughtful space. Right. And then going to one after going to five positively, they develop that much needed capacity to focus on one thing and going to the end with right. it before opening up more possibilities. Right. It's like they be, become a, more able to implement their creative ideas. The idealism goes into action. Right. It's sometimes sevens will say they like brainstorming, they like come up, coming up with new ideas, but then they can lose, lose focus or lose interest when it comes to doing the things they might do to need to do to execute on their ideas. But when they go to ones, execution becomes interesting and enlivening. 
Yeah, they become more realistic and more grounded in the body, and others feel that and appreciate it. It's like they can see that their pleasure actually gets more satisfying if they have more discipline in their life as well, if they can balance uh, their creativity and their desire for for fun and uh, and pleasant possibilities with a, a more serious consideration of the things that need to be done or yeah. the important things they need to focus on. Yeah, but I think the main thing is to finish up what they have started. But also getting in the body and mm. not just in their head, yeah. right? And once, many times also say, um, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to, to do that. You right. know, prioritizing. Yes, yes. And now it's time for our top five. What's our top five today, B? So today we're talking about the top five most direct types or subtypes. Yeah. What do you mean by direct? Straightforward? Straightforward, straight to the point, no, little tolerance for beating around the bush, just kind of being, being straight ahead. I can't wait to see what are your five uh, selected uh, types that are more direct. Let's see. What's your number five be? My number five is five. <gasps> <laughs> Really? I think fives can be very direct. Um, and I wasn't really sure about the subtype. I have both social and one-to-one -one or sexual. I think self-preservation fives may be a little bit less direct. I think it may depend on the relationship or who they're being direct with. Certainly they're capable of it. And I also think fives are very objective, but I think one of, of the things that I respect about fives is they want you to be direct with them and they, they tend to be pretty direct. Mm. One of the three subtypes of five is included in my top five, but not the fifth. Um, What's your number five? My number five is sexual one. Ah. I think they are very direct, perhaps not as much as others, because it's hard for ones to just say the main thing they are critical at. They need to say more. Yes, you know, they yes. need just to keep talking about details of, of what they are critical at. Um, but, you know, especially sexual ones, they go straight to the point. Yes. So this is my fifth. Yes. What is your fourth? My fourth is sexual one. Mm. For all the reasons you just said, I, I think they tend to be very direct. And again, a lot of times there are types that are direct that also want you to be direct with them. And I think that's certainly true of ones generally. Uh, I was a little bit in doubt whether I would say sexual one or social one, but I think sexual ones mm. are, are probably a little bit, have the edge on social ones. Mm. And I have your fifth as my fourth. <laughs> we switched on those. Yeah, but it's, I wouldn't say all fives and then I would perhaps disagree with you. I. I think actually that the self-pressed five is the most direct of all fives. Oh, interesting. I think that social fives like me talk too much. Oh, good point. And they can get theoretical yes. and be very indirect. And I think that sexual fives can be, you know, the romantic streak that you talk about for sexual fives. Right. I think they can want to manage to, to communicate in more subjective ways. More, more poetic ways, yes. I would say. You're so, right. And I think that... Um, Sometimes we say that um, self-press fives communicate in one word. Yeah, you know, I think you've convinced me that, yeah. uh, that, that, that the, the, the most direct five might be self-preservation five. Now, mm. especially now that I'm thinking about how long-winded you can be <laughs> as a social five. Yes, I, I agree with that. <laughs> but I, I like your long-windedness also. <laughs> now, what's your third? 
My third is self-preservation three. Mine also. Wow, we have something in common. Okay, so why do you think it's self-pres three, the third one? I think self-preservation threes are often in a hurry. They really want to get things done. They don't get so distracted, as distracted as the other threes might by creating a good image. They just kind of want to get things done as quickly as possible. So I think they tend to be very direct. I agree, and I think they're uh, not uh, like social threes. They're not very political. They just go do, you know, it's not much about image, so they don't care about convincing people in details. They just want to go do stuff, so they speak less. It's very much about being productive. Yeah, and they are the most impatient of all threes, I think. Maybe so, yes. So people who are more impatient might become more uh, direct. Maybe so. And my second is self-press eight. Which one is yours? Well, my second is, it's really a tie, sexual eight and social eight. Oh, okay. Um, so tell me more about that. I think, I think the, those two eights are very direct. Uh, and I think, I, I couldn't really decide who's more direct because I think they can both be direct in different ways. I think sometimes the sexual eight has maybe more to say, but they're still pr pretty direct. Uh, and the social one can be a little bit more, I mean, I'm sorry, the social eight can be a little more soft-spoken, let's say, mm. uh, or they may not say as many things or need to impose their will in as many ways, but they're still pretty direct. Okay, I agree with all that. What about your number two? My number two, as I said, is self-press eight, because I think they speak less and when they do, they go straight to the point. And they are very objective also in the sense that, you know, sometimes we say they are like lions, that they stand, they sleep, 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 but then they wake up to do what they need and go straight to the point, they hunt and so on. So it's like going straight to action. It's very, very instinctive. Or just saying what they need or saying yeah. what they want and going for it without saying much more that's extra fluff. Yeah, there is no explanation, no second options. It's just go. So I agree with you so much that self-preservation eight is my number one. What would you add about that? I really wouldn't. I think we covered it. I think, I think we said why self-preservation eights can be the most direct. Okay, so you must be wondering what the heck, what is his number one then? Yes, I am very wondering very much. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, so my number one is the social repressed instinct of all types. Wow, social repressed. Yeah. So that's me, very tricky. Yeah, let me try to explain that. You know, we all have all three instincts, self-press, social, and sexual. And uh, on the subtypes podcast, we explained how the dominant instinct mixed up with the passion of type becomes our subtype. Now, there is also a repressed instinct, meaning one of the three um, um, operates much less than the other two. And we call that the repressed instinct. And we are going to do a podcast on instinct sometime soon. Now, the social dominants, I mean the nine social dominants, are very political. Much more political than average, in most cases at least, than other people of the same type. While the social repressed people, like, I mean, from all nine types, tend to be more objective than... Uh, the colleagues of those nine types. So I'd say that the most direct of all 
is not only the self-press aid, but the self-press aid with social repressed instinct. But I also think that other types of all types that are social repressed can be pretty direct. I just wanted to add this to just send a message, but that things uh, are complex sometimes on the Enneagram and we need to study different aspects of it, including the repressed instinct. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. I'll think mm. about what you said. Okay. Good. So, be such a pleasure always to talk to you. I learn so much and I wonder, do you think our uh, audience here on the podcast is also learning? I hope so. Yeah. And I hope they join us again for our next Enneagram 2.0 podcast where we talk about all things Enneagram. The Enneagram 2.0 podcast goes live every other Thursday on all main platforms. Stay tuned to learn more about yourself and others. Please click on like to help spread the word about our podcast.